Okay, good evening. We're back after the holidays, and uh, we're continuing the Talmud series. And uh, we're very, very close to the end of Masechet Sanhedrin. It took a few good lectures, this Masechet alone. If you remember before Sukkot, the last shiur that we had three weeks ago, we spoke about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, we spoke about the Babylonian tower, the wicked people who made a tower to go fight against Hashem. We spoke about Nachum Ishgamzu, everything is for good. Uh, we spoke about the King David who asked Hashem to test him, like Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and ended up uh, not being successful in his test. This is a little bit from the previous uh, lecture, and we are uh, today and uh, entering the arguments that Moshe Rabbeinu had with the Korach and the 250 rabbis who joined him against Moshe. It's hard to understand how something like this can happen that the nation that heard God speaking to Moshe in public and he, speak, he spoke to him, not to me, not to you, not to him, he spoke to him, that should have been enough for us forever never to start with him, an argument. Right? I think that if today in our time everyone would see that Hashem come and speak to one Jew, doesn't matter where, America, Israel, Europe, everybody heard that he spoke to him and he loved him and he nominated him. Do you think that we would have the guts to start an argument with that person? Every, I think that everything he would say, I would say, yes, sir. I don't want to start an argument. God forbid not to upset him. This is not a regular person, you know, from millions of people in the world. Hashem is speaking to him. Apparently, Korach was in a very high level. Yes, he, Hashem nominated him to be the leader, but we are from the same family. We have the same background. I'm the richest guy in the world, and I'm the smartest guy. And I'm, a, I'm not just a nobody, you know, I'm also important. Everything he knows in Torah, I also know. Plus, his wife was uh, what we call a witch today, Eshet Korach. There's an expression in Judaism. When they want to speak about someone who has a wicked wife, they, they give her a name, Eshet Korach. Ishto Eshet Korach. His wife, Eshet Korach. There's another expression about Korach, Ashirka Korach. If you want to describe a Jew that is very wealthy, or even a Goy, it doesn't matter, you say, Ashirka Korach, rich like Korach. That's how wealthy he was, very wealthy person. Okay, so you know how it is with the ego, with a wife that is not good, that she instigates and she pushes you and she does all kinds of bad things. She put pressure on you. You are the richest guy, you're smart. It's, that's how it is in politics. You see, politicians sometimes destroy themselves. Just this week alone, you saw an example of ego, how it affects a person that it's not necessarily a fool, how it's affecting him to destroy himself completely. Gaddafi, they just say now, the Libyan people started a search for $200 billion that he stole in the last 41 years. Just that you understand, there used to be a very wealthy Jewish community in Libya, Tripoli. The richest Jews in the Middle East lived there. And they, one day they told them, you have a few days to leave. You cannot take anything with you. Some of them smelled that it's coming, so they smuggled a few millions of dollars to Italy, because Libya and Italy, Italy controlled there you know, before. So they spoke Italian, 
Obviously, if the only language besides Arabic that you speak is Italian, where are you going to run to, right? So you run, they ran to Italy. Some of them still took some of the wealth and were able to become rich even in Italy. But most of them had to leave all their real estate, their homes, buildings, businesses, everything, money in a the bank. They stole everything. And if they stole from his own people, what do you expect? It's, of course he's still from the Jews. We hate them as it is. Even though, you know, there's a rumor that he himself was to a Jewish mother that went and, and married a Muslim Arab. And I even saw the woman who claimed that she's a sister of his grandmother. She lives in Israel. She testified that her, her sister is his grandmother, which means her uh, nephew married, and her nephew went and married him. You know, perhaps he have many wives, one of his wife. I mean, his father, I mean. You know, nobody really knows. One way or the other doesn't matter. And uh, you saw that the person that finally, there's a revolution in your country. Thousands of people demonstrate over, they started to kill, to fight. There's a point that you have to take all your money and run away. Many countries offered him shelter, political asylum. He could have taken his billions of dollars. He already have, he has a house in Englewood, $15 million mansion. Right, uh, half a block from where I do Yom Kippur. Every year I do Yom Kippur. Half a block next door to Rav Shmuli Boteach, if you heard about him. So, you know, I, I believe now they seized it, of course, and all that, but started to shoot at people, kill people. What's the point? 41 years you robbed your people, you raped all the women, you were the biggest uh, wicked person on earth. Now time for you to go, you're 60-something years old. Give up, go live the last 10, 20 years of your life as a billionaire somewhere and finish, retired. The ego, it destroyed the person. Now he ended up losing his 200 billion. He lost all his children, except one, all of them are dead. And uh, you saw how he died. Did you see how this barbarian Muslim terrorist with guns, how, how I, I got scared when I saw it. This is like a taste, you know how they give you when you go to the store, come taste a little bit from this ice cream. This is a taste of what the Arabs are going to do to us when they come into control. This is just a taste. If their own people, they treat like this, they knocked his head on the floor, screaming, Allah Akbar, like crazy, shooting like crazy, and they shot him. They couldn't wait a minute to bring him to justice. It's a riot, massacre, complete, you know, how they scream. It was scary to see a person like this, which was the president, the richest person in the world. He's richer than Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and that Mexican Salim together. <laughs> they got the, he's the richest, well, he's a thief. They say Mubarak stole 70 billion. Everyone was 70 billion? Because you have to understand, they have oil. Oil bring billions of dollars every year. Nobody knows, you control, it's, it's not a democracy. You don't give permission to anyone to check the accounts. What's happened, and every once in a while you kill someone who knows too much. Over there, over there you know, you don't need, like in Israel, you have uh, someone that the government nominate to come and look for corruption. And he comes, you have to open your bank account, you have to give him your laptop password. He's, he's an authority. Over there, authority, you want to investigate me? Muhammad. Mustafa, come take care of him. Right away in the office, they shoot his head. Nobody makes a beep. They found many holes of many bodies of Libyan's people. 
They took them from jail, all the anarchist people who are against the government. They collect 1,200 of them in the middle of the night with trucks. They bring them to somewhere in the desert. They, make, they dig a hole in advance. They put everything over there. Ta -ta 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 -ta. They're all dead. They cover them. By the morning, nobody knows anything. Every week, one after the other, it's happening as we speak. I promise you that right now, before this lecture will be ended, Thousands of Muslims over the world will be killed by their own brothers in a barbaric way like we are just described. So if they do it to their own people, what do you expect? We only have to, <laughs> to hope that we won't be around when it's happened. Because this is one of the conditions before Mashiach comes. They'll control nine months. They'll control nine months. Very scary. Nine minutes with them is very scary. Nine months, Hashem Yerachem. So this is an example how ego destroyed you. What Korach needs to fight against him? You're the richest. Everyone bow down to you. So you're the second important person in the world, not the first. Not good enough. Same thing Amman in Persia. The richest guy, richer than King Ahasuerus. Think about it. King Ahasuerus is controlling 127 countries. How many countries United States control? Not even one. Even their own country, they lost control. But they have army a little bit here, a little bit there. Can anyone say that Obama controlled 127 countries? 127 countries are his slaves paying him taxes? No. So King Ahasuerosh is a massive kingdom. And Haman was wealthier than him. And he, everyone bowed down to him, except one Jew. Big deal. You pretend that is, you don't see him. And you stay with 99.999% of the, of the perfect life. The one little one that bothered him, the ego, brought to his destruction. They hung him with his sons and took away everything he had. And it's been repeating again and again. All these dictators, look at Saddam Hussein. They found Saddam Hussein in a hole with beard, with laces. They check his teeth like camel. You know how they check the teeth of the horses with a flashlight? In the fine of the whole world, you know? And then Gaddafi, did you know where they found him? Inside the sewer. Inside the sewer where people make their bathroom, there's a pipe of the sewer. When the Libyan people went to the bathroom, they never dreamed that what they just ate for dinner went on the head of the person they hate so much. <laughs> if they knew, they'd go twice to the bathroom every evening. <laughs> but that's where he was. $200 billion, thousands of serv servants, and Hashem put you in the end inside the sewer, under the ground. That's where they found him. And this is what we say in Tehilim all the time. What do we say in Tehilim? Mashpil ge'im adei aretz. Destroying these proud people and bury them all the way down. You bring them down from the mountain. So these all entire arguments ended up that Korach and the 250 of his rabbis that joined him, buried alive, but his two children got saved. They make tshuva a minute before it happens. Before the earth opened up, you know, speaking about opening the earth, if you remember about a month and a half or two months ago, I believe he was even here, or maybe in one of the lectures around here, I said in one of the lectures, when, Tur when Turkey started to fight against Israel and starting to instigate and make all kinds of problems, I told you, wait, Hashem will take care of them. They will have an earthquake. Now that I'm a prophet, I said it clearly. Why? I know how Hashem works already. 
I've been seeing it for 3,300 years since the Torah was given. What changed? It's the same thing, the same pattern. Uh, you go against the nation of Hashem, Hashem, take care of you. That's it. But it's very fast. Sometimes it may take years. Sometimes it takes tens of years. Over here, it took less than two months. Right away, an earthquake. I heard uh, I, somebody from Turkey sent me an email today. And he said, don't believe the media. They say four, five hundred or a thousand people. There are much more, thousands. And he said, he wrote me an email, I saw in your Facebook page that you ask a question, do you think what happened in Turkey is a punishment from God or coincidence? 96 or 7% say punishment from God. There's always 3% of people who live in illusion or imagination, whatever. So they say, no, coincidence. You know, whatever. But, but the point is that everybody understand. Everybody understand. And Hashem take away his ego now all the way down to the ground that today he had to ask Israel to send them help. <laughs> you understand? That's what happened today. But there's, some, there's one more reason. You know, they, the Kurdish people, they are the most de depressed people on earth, the most depressed people. Everybody fight against them. In Iraq, they are the minority. Saddam used to gas them day and night kill thousands of them every year. In Iran, same story. Turkey, same story. Afghanistan, all these areas. Whenever the Kurds are, Turkey, the same thing. Turkey been killing thousands of them and nobody make a beep in the entire world. You never hear one politician who say, what's going on? But when they kill one Palestinian terrorist, the entire world is rocking and shaking and oh, so much problem. What's going on here? Why? They're not Muslims, the Turkish. They're not Arabs. They're also Arabs. Nobody care about them. Anyone care about the Holocaust of the Armenians that Turkey did? Nobody makes a beep about it. Once a year you hear one comment, and right away they silent it right away. What do you see? That it's all that Hashem is doing it to us. It's nothing to do with them. Hashem opened the mount of the donkey, he opened the mount of the goy as well. Doesn't matter. If the donkey of Bilam opened the mount and started to speak Musar, the donkey of Bilam gave a lecture. What do you want from me? I've been your wife all these years. I was faithful to you. I never went against you. Why are you beating me up? Don't you see that God is doing it? The donkey spoke to Bilam, to the prophet of the goyim. Hashem makes this nation that nobody knows where they came from. Nobody can tell where this Palestinian came from. A little bit from here, a little bit from there. They've never been in their own nation. It's no history of Palestine. Spain, there's the Spanish people, thousands of years. Russian, they have Russian, thousands of years. Almost every country. This country, go a hundred years ago, check. Nobody knew who they are. hundred years, there's nothing. There's none. They, didn't, they don't have. They, know, they never had an army. They never had a, they never had a state. They never had an anthem. They never had a prime minister, a president, nothing. Out of nowhere, this is, by the way, one of the prophecies that close to the days of Mashiach, there will be a nation who pretend that they are the Philistines. I saw it in one of the books. There will be a nation that would call themselves and try, and even they live in the area of the Philistines. They are nothing to do with the Philistines of the Tanakh. But this is a bunch of Arabs who came from all over. And now, one more thing I learned about Islam recently, which I didn't know.
that they have a rule that even if they occupy the place for one day, one day, that's it. They, they're not allowed to give up the land. Now, they went one time to Spain. The Spanish people there in Spain, they were there for who knows, two, three thousand years. Spain has a long history. There were Jews in Spain eight, nine hundred years ago. So they were, they were there for hundreds or for thousands of years. And they occupied an area for one week until today, going on Muslims' uh, internet pages. They cry for that play pieces of Spain. They claim the Spain, people from Spain, stole the land from them. This is how they, so imagine now, you live in a house for 30 years, you own it, you went away to Israel for three weeks, and one uh, guy from Harlem broke into your house and was there for five hours. And then you came and you gave him a good punch, you made him fly out of the window. Now he brings his gang, they're fighting day after day, night after night. They stole my house. He stole my house. <laughs> Anybody will take this guy serious, they put him in a mental institution. This is what's happening right now in the world, and nobody can make a beep. Why? This is it. When we don't make peace with Hashem, Hashem send them to us to give us all these problems. Now, uh, the Gemara says like this, Vaishma Moshe vaipol al panav. Moshe heard and he fell on his face. Vaipol al panav, it's an expression of like mourning. Broken heart. Put your head down, crying. Wow, what was the rumor that he heard? That people speaking gossip about him. Why? That he went with a married woman. Somebody made a rumor. What do you think? The newspaper reporters is only today? They used to have people who make rumors in the old days as well. The Gemara says uh, that if a person is involved with machloket, Machloket means an argument between two individuals or two groups. If the machloket is for the sake of heaven, then it's blessed. The righteous people against the wicked people. The wicked people wants to come to a religious neighborhood and put bad naked women pictures there in front of the children. Then you give your life for it. Whatever it takes. If you can convince them with nice words to get out, very good. Not, you stand over there, you lay on the floor that they cannot come with their cars. It didn't help any way to stop them is kosher. Why? They destroy you spiritually. Destroying someone spiritually is much worse than destroying him physically. So what's the worst thing? They'll kill us. They bring guns and they shoot at us. It's a great honor to die by fighting for the modesty of Hashem. No, there's nothing to worry about. When you come to the court of heaven, it could be a very wicked person. As soon as the Satan opens up his mouth, Hashem, not keeping Shabbat, stealing, doing this, doing that, doing that, right away, oh, the angel who protects you come and say, I'm sorry, why is he here? He laid on the floor and he didn't want them to hang this picture. Where do you find a, a more kosher person than this warrior? 99% of your case is dismissed. Right away. I one time spoke in a place that uh, they told me a story there about somebody there that the, the, the government was after them. They had uh, 50 counts against them, whatever the case was. I don't want to give too much details. And these people decided to become religious slowly, slowly. They started to become religious. They did all kinds of nice things. 
and 49 counts of the 50 were dismissed by the judge. One of them was still open. They pay a little fine compared to how much money they made, and they got away with everything. Hashem doesn't really want to take away what you have or to make you miserable. He just wants you to make tshuva. Justice is justice. You make tshuva, what's the point? Punishing you twice? You already did the right thing. I'm willing to waive your punishment. You, you're close to me now? How can I miss this opportunity? I'll give you an example. If you have a kid and he's very bad, he ran away from the house, drugs, he's joining a gang, every other week he's in police custody, you, don't even, you give up already, you tell the police, don't bother me, don't call me anymore. Then after a year or two, one day he shows up and you see, yamaka, tzitzit, short hair, a little beard, What's, what's, what happened with you? You sick? Come, let me check. No, you don't have a fever. What happened? Abba, I'm done with the nonsense. I realize it's all nonsense. That's it. I'm on the way back. If only a week ago he stole from your pants $1,000, do you ever bring it up again? Let it go. I don't know. He damaged your car. Let it go. He beat up your sister. Let it go. He's not so nice to your wife. Forget about it. We have an opportunity. We can't miss it. If you're going to start punching him and giving him things, he's running, you're going to lose him for good. Same thing with Hashem. Once a person comes on his own and put his head down and says, I'm sorry, chatati, aviti, pashati, then Hashem says, oh, you know, very good. It's very interesting. There was a, a story. Two kapzanim. You know, kapzan means a beggar. Someone collects donations. So one came, they were, they were standing online to enter a place of a very wealthy guy. This Jew is very wealthy, he gives tzedakah. So, he, so the, the, one, the first beggar made his homework. He learned a lot about this rich guy. What does he do? And he found out that he has a son who is missing already for one year. He left the house, he ran away. He didn't want to stay religious, so he ran out of the house. So he said, how am I going to make now good money? I'm going to go in, he's going to give me 50 cents, going to give me $2. For that, I came all the way. I got to come up with a plan. So he found out the name of the son, everything. And he came into the house and he said, uh, you know, I come from the city. And, uh, you know, they begin to talk. And he said, i tell you something. I heard, I heard uh, that your son ran away. Moshe Yitzchak, your son. And he's actually right where I live. It's four hours away he were from here. I tell you, this boy is a star. So the father said, what do you mean a star? He's making problems? He said, what problems? He sits in yeshiva all day, learning Mara, day after day, night after night, four o'clock in the morning, mikveh, doesn't pick up his eyes, doesn't go out, mamash like an angel. Hardly eats, Psh. He said to him, you sure? He said, yeah, is he like six, six, two, very tall, a little bit red hair, a little bit belly he has, about 20, 21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he have a, a birthmark here? Yeah. Everything, he described the boy perfectly. He said, my son's learning Mara. In my own eyes, I never saw him opening a, a book. I'm telling you, he came, he had something over there, and he decided to become a tzaddik. Unbelievable. Ah, you made me so happy. Wait right here. Right away, he bought his checkbook, $10,000. He gave it to him. 
So he gave it to him. It's, wow, the, the poor guy never made in his whole life such an amount. He comes out smiling. His face is shining like a diamond. The other beggar said, well, well, what's the story? He show him. How did you do it? He said, listen, I'm going to give you that secret in one condition. Whatever you get, 50-50. <laughs> the guy said, what's better? Better one bird in a hand than two on a tree, no? I'll give him 50%. At least I get a nice amount. He said, this is the story. Here is my notes that I prepared my homework. You just develop the story a little further. <laughs> so he said, OK. He comes in. He said, what, what city you are? I don't know, Pompey, whatever the name of that city was. He said, from Pompey? You know Moshe Yitzchak? He said, Moshe Yitzchak, the, the 21 years old guy? He said, yeah, 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 the red hair, the, the six, six two? Yeah, you know him? What do you mean I know him? Just two or three weeks ago, I, I participated in his wedding with the daughter of the rabbi. Forget <laughs> it. 4,000 people were dancing to the morning. The rabbi chose him from all thousands of people in our town. He's a, a genius. You know, he's going to be the new rabbi. The, old, all, the other rabbi is very old. In a year or two, he will take his place. My son. <laughs> oh. I didn't know my son got married. What? He's so upset with me. OK, you got to stay by me now for a week. You don't go back home. He doesn't have a home. He's a beggar. He said, you stay by me for a week now. Every day I'm going to make a party, like Sheva Brachot that I miss. And you're going to stay right here, and you sit next to me on the table, and you eat like you never ate before. So one week, everyone, tell, tell us about Moshe Yitzchak. He tells them stories, and he did this, he did that. He finished a masechet. It starts in the morning. By the evening, he finished. What takes a month to somebody else? Everyone in town say, what lucky guy. It's all thanks to its daka. He gives a lot of tzedakah. After a week, he said, come, I prepared something nice for you, 30,000. Gave him a check, 30,000. Wow, he doesn't have to worry now for the whole year. Gave him 50%, finished. <laughs> Two weeks later. The sun showed up, <laughs> earring, no yamaka, you know, like a hippie, come inside, hi. <laughs> he almost got a heart attack. What is this, a joke? What a joke. You don't care about me? One year I'm in prison, you didn't even come to visit me. Prison? What prison? I thought you the, the, the Hatan of the rabbi. Which rabbi? In Pompey over there. Where is Pompey? I was in jail over there. You were in jail? Yeah, I robbed somebody. They caught me. You know how I live, from stealing. <laughs> so the father got shocked. He took him. He said, wow, I've been telling everyone in town that my son is the Hatan of the rabbi. What's going to be with my bushot, with my embarrassment? This is what Hashem said to every Jew. The Gemara in Masechet Brachot say, what's been written on a tefillin of Hashem? Hashem has his own tefillin. Same thing a Jew has tefillin, Hashem has his tefillin. What's written on his tefillin? Mi ke'amcha Yisrael. Who is like the nation of your, of your nation, God? Who is it? Do you know any other nation like your children? So when the Jews come to Hashem, they tell him, Aseleman Datach, Aseleman Amitach, Aseleman Godlach, Aseleman Yoshrach, 
עשה למען פערך. What mean פערך? עשה למען means do for the sake of. Food for the sake of your holiness, do for the sake of your mercy, do for the sake of your kindness, do for the sake of your greatness, do for the sake of, there's a whole list. Not for us, do for yourself. And one of the things we do, we say, do for the sake of your pe'erach. Pe'er means beauty, like a crown. What does it mean, pe'erach? Pe'er means tefillin, a person that has Tefillin in his head, it's like a crown of a king, the real king, not a temporary human being, a real king. And what does it say on that tefillin, the Gemara say? Mi ke'amcha Yisrael goy echad ba'aretz. Goy, goy means nation. You see, when, 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 we, when you see someone is not Jewish, you say he's a goy, which means he belongs to a different nation. And, but a nation of Israel is also called a goy. A nation of Israel. Mi ke'amcha Yisrael goy echad ba'aretz. Who's like your nation? Goy echad. One special nation on the earth. So we say to Hashem, on your tefillin it say, who is like the Jews? If you're going to punish us and destroy us, it means that your tefillin will be not kosher. It says a lie. Say, who's like the Jews? What do you mean who's like the Jews? Who's, who's bad like the Jews? I had to destroy all of them. So you don't have a choice, you gotta keep us around. This is what we say in the prayer, but no, nobody understands the secrets of the prayer. Ask one person if you know what it means. People think it literally means as do for your beauty, Hashem. No, for the, for, the, for the secrets of the tefillin of Hashem. So the Gemara continues. So I started to speak about machloke. Machloke means disagreement. There are kosher disagreements, there are forbidden disagreements. If you do for the sake of heaven, you are blessed, it's not a sin, that's no problem. You're not going to be punished. Even though it's not pleasant to argue or to fight, sometimes it's, 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 it need, it needed. But most of the arguments today come for politics, for ego, for pride, for money, for positions, for all kinds of things like this. If you really see, most of the people say, I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for the truth. Go check again, see, everything is for his ego. Everything is because of the job or because of what the people are going to say. It's all about this. Hashem knows. But over here, Moshe Rabbeinu is 100% clean. Who are the sinners? Korach and the 250. What happened to them? Boom, they buried alive. There's one question that we have to ask here. Why Moshe Rabbeinu was so worried? I don't get it. If Hashem told him, you are my representative, I chose you to be the leader, and you will take the nation of Israel to Israel, and I will be with you in everything you do, and I'll protect you, and I'll bless you, and I, and I, and I, and I. I would be walking in the street like a real macho. What's the problem? Don't look at me. Don't get me angry. Don't, don't you know Hashem promised me? You get, I'm, of course, I'm joking, but to worry that somebody can hurt me? After five minutes, five minutes ago, Hashem told me, you are the leader. I, I'm protecting you. So why Moshe started to cry to Hashem, please don't accept their sacrifice? Moshe said, I'm going to bring my sacrifice, and you bring yours. The one that fire will come from heaven and will be burned, that's the one Hashem wants. Everybody will see if I'm right or you're right. So, okay, so they agree. 
They have no choice. If they refuse, they lose the argument in front of the nation. So they have no choice. They say, okay. So Moshe didn't sleep all night. He was crying and praying to Hashem that he won't accept their sacrifice. What's the, normally, he should have gone to sleep and snore real good. What's the problem? Man, you don't trust the promise of Hashem? Why was so panicking? The answer is, just like you say almost, the answer is the power of the prayers of many wicked people together, it's something to be scared about. You're 100% righteous. They're all wicked. No question about it. You know it, Hashem knows it, but there are 250 people who now give their heart for their ego. But they give their heart. A prayer that comes from the heart with 250 wicked people gathered together, it's something to worry about. So that's why Hashem had to, Moshe has to say to Hashem, don't do, don't do for me. I didn't ask for this job. If, now you don't, if you accept their sacrifice, now it's the end of your nation. That's it. Nobody can ever be a leader. Because everybody saw one show, and the next thing, everything turned around. Come on, it's the end of the story. So let's move on. So the Gemara says, someone, someone who participates in a massive arguments, it's very common in shuls today. Why there are so many shuls, do you know? Most of the shuls opened because somebody in the minyan was not satisfied from the rabbi or from the people of this minyan. And he gathered with him few people, and they have the money. Usually it's the wealthy people or nothing is good for them. They decided to buy another building and to start a new minyan, bring a new rabbi. That's one way how a shul split to two. There's another way that... Uh, one person from the Minyan, he already considers himself important in Torah, in, 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 he knows a lot, and he's tired of being leaded by this rabbi. He wants to have his own community. So he has the money. He got to a few rich people. He said, I want you to join together with me. Let's buy this place. They give him a few million, of, million dollars. He takes his own money. They buy the place. He put it, of course, on his name that nobody later can tell him what to do. He opened up the place. And now there's another shul. Doesn't matter that this is uh, like a huge building. You can put a thousand people there. In an average day, 15 people come to pray there because the other 15 build another $10 million building that they also have their own place. And that's how you have thousands of shuls until Hashem Irachem, one day comes Hitler and burn all of them overnight. And we start again the process and the ego and the bad habits of all the people since the day Hashem made this world until now, dictates all this nonsense and again and again and again and again and again. This is how it goes. So the Gemara says, someone who participates in this kind of machloket deserve to get leprosy. Tzarat. Tzarat is because of Lashonara. Today, Hashem doesn't give us such clear signs. Right away, you speak Lashonara, two minutes later, all your body has leprosy. Imagine if it would be like this. Nobody would dare to open his mouth. Moshe, read the Ilim. By mistake, maybe I say Lashonara. I don't know, David Amelech says something against his enemies. I'm afraid. Why? My friend just did something. He said one word, look at his body. People would be mute. Nobody would make a beep. But... 
Gemara says like this, deserve, Rav Ashi said, deserve to get leprosy. Rav Yossi say, kol acholek al malchut be David, someone who argue, disagree with malchut be David, deserve to be beaten by a snake. He didn't say poisonous or not. I guess poisonous. The other one is nothing. Amar Rav Chizda, kol acholek al rabo, Someone who argue publicly. We are not, everything we say, we are talking publicly, not between you and him in hidden room. This can be, you know, nobody saw. In front of everyone, he makes a big fight and argument with his rabbi, and he's wrong. We're not talking that his rabbi, he found out that he's a wicked person. And he told him, repent, or I'm going to have to tell everyone your real face. This is an obligation. It's not up to you to close your eyes or not. You must tell people because another Jew and another Jew. Just yesterday, somebody called me at 1 o'clock at night telling me a story. What's the story? Five years ago, he went with a bunch of friends to a restaurant, and they calculate how much the bill will be. And it's, it says that if everyone will give $50, it will cover the entire party that they had over there. So everyone gave $50. And in the end, the person who collected the money say, I'm missing $100 here. Two of you didn't give. And everyone said, no, I gave, I gave, I gave. And one of them got very angry. So what is this? I saw everyone is giving you money. Where is the $100? I want to check your pockets. He said, what do you mean? He said, open your pocket. I'm not leaving you alone. He opened up the pocket where he put all the money from the people, and it was exactly two $50 bills. And everyone said, we're done with you, you're a thief. You're going to pay this. And since then, all the friends left him, except the guy who called me last night. The guy who called me last night is a very nice person. I know him for a few years. And you know, he went with his heart. He said, you know what? Everyone embarrassed him. He felt bad. And the crook, the thief, that saw that this guy is weak, weak character, which means he's soft heart. He cannot go become strong. So he took advantage on the situation. And for five years, he tells him, don't think I forgive you. No, I didn't forgive you. What you did to me, he took his anger about what all the other guys did and went against this guy. And he said to him, Yom Kippur is coming next week. You still have to beg me to forgive you. For five years, they're going on like this. Few weeks ago, there was a party somewhere. All the problems come from these parties, I guess. And I went into a party, and all of a sudden, a Jewish girl in her 20s, she screamed, where is my wallet? My wallet was right here. I just went to the bathroom. I came out where the wallet disappeared. So so many people in the house. She went by the door. She locked the door, and she said, I don't care. I'm going to search each one of you now until I find my wallet. I have money, my credit cards, my license. Nobody leaves this place before I, I check his place. I park it, his pocketbook, everything. If not, I call the police. I don't care. Nobody leaves this house. So everyone said, OK, come check. I, I want to go. You know, the party already is over. Check me. I want to go. Here, check everything. Here, left. Another one left. Then this guy who called me went to the bathroom, because he saw that his friend was in the bathroom right after this girl came out. He saw him running into the bathroom. He suspected something is fishy there. 
He went into the bathroom. In the meantime, they, this guy came out, and someone came to him and said, listen, why your pocket is so blown like this? What's, what do you have over there? Who was the owner of the house? Let me, let me see what's in your pocket. He opened up his pocket. Two perfumes, perfume for lady, perfume for men. He stole everything from the bathroom. He just came out of the bathroom. He comes to someone's house to a party and he steals things from his house. And the guy who called me went into the bathroom and guess what he found? The wallet was somewhere hidden in the bathroom. And who is that guy? Same guy from five years ago who swore that he, he wasn't the thief. So now, why is he calling me at one o'clock to tell me this story? Because his question is, does he have to tell all the Jewish friends around this guy who do business with him, who invite him to the house, that they have to be careful from him? Or he has to be quiet? What's the answer? Must tell them. But at the same time, he has to tell the guy, listen, I have to turn you to the police. But I'm not going to do it in one condition, that you start see a psychologist. Maybe you have a mental problem. Not all thieves, it's because they want money. You know, the Hollywood stars that have $20 million cash, they went to steal also $50 item from Macy's or, you know, whatever her name was. So it's, it's obviously, it's called kleptomania. Kleptomanic, huh? Kleptomania. No, cleaning in Hebrew, you know, the accent is different. So this is just to give us an example. So that's what I'm saying. If you know this person you represent is a crook, the Gemara say clearly, you must publish them because when Hashem punish them, everyone will say, hey, the righteous rabbi, look what happened to him. What righteous? He knew he's not, but he never told anyone. And now everyone is crying. You see what happened? Where is the justice? The justice is always here. The people don't know the, the real facts. The justice is here. We just don't understand what's real good and what's bad. Same thing I told you before about Gaddafi. Before they kill him, a minute before, in my own eyes I saw. What did he say to them? What you're doing is wrong. You cannot tell the difference between good and bad, he said. <laughs> like he's good and they're bad. It's, it's not allowed according to the Islam, he said to them. So one of them said, be quiet, you dog. Ishrab al-Kalb in Arabic. Be quiet, you kalb. Kalb is a kelev. It comes from Hebrew. <laughs> so he was repeating it. It's not allowed according to the Quran. Yeah, but you murder thousands of people every year. That's allowed according to the Quran. <laughs> but to kill you, it's not allowed. That's it. It's like one guy told me, I cannot stand this yeshiva anymore. I said, why? I said, people drive me crazy over there. So what do they do to you? He said, there's one guy, he drives me crazy. Every day he comes, he sits on my bed. Told him a few times, I don't like people sit on my blankets, on my sheets. Sit somewhere else. Don't sit on my bed, in a dorm. And I said, let me ask you, between you and I, you never sit on people's beds? Said, I do, all the time. So why bother you that he sits? He wants to live, you understand? Same thing, like they have a refrigerator and everyone buy himself soda. And he writes on it his name, you know. I didn't buy it for 20 people who sleep with me in the same room. So I, I want to have my own soda when I eat lunch. So he puts his name. So somebody else come to me and say, look at this cheap guy, puts his name. And at the same time, he has a soda with his name in the same fridge. <laughs> and complained that he took a glass of cola from the other barrel, and the guy got angry at him. 
I say, well, you just told me yourself that everyone writes your name. You have your own son over there. Now you complain. People cannot see about themselves. The Gemara says, You know, many times you hear people uh, on the media when they catch a religious guy that he was a thief. So they, of course, they make a party in the news, in the newspaper. So you see all the secular people write, Ganav, religious people are thieves. They control the money. They're all robbers. And the people who come in steal a million times more every hour. But they really get angry. It's not an act. They really get angry when they find out that somebody has got caught stealing. But they don't even see that they are a million times worse. You understand? It's not hypocrite. Hypocrite, he knows the truth. He pretends. Over here, they don't see. They get blinded. Why? Because it's bribed. It's you. You don't see it. So let's move on. The Gemara says, so if you fight with your rabbi for no reason, ego, you don't like some of his decision, whatever, the way he runs the shul, he tells people to be quiet, no cell phone, he one time told you don't bring it in, and you, you, you know, he affected you, and all kinds of things like this. It's exactly like fighting against Hashem. This is how it will be counted in your judgment day. Hashem said, why did you have a fight with me? Me, Hashem? I dare to fight with you? Who am I to fight with you? Yes, you did. You, fo you fought with me. When? That date. And he showed you the picture and the movie. And you realize, like fighting with Hashem. Where do we see proof in the Torah that fighting with your rabbi is like fighting with Hashem? Maybe the rabbi wrote it because it's good for them. How do we know? Gotta bring a proof, no? How do we know? The answer is in Bamid Bar Chaf, number 20. Hema Mei Meriva, they fought against Moshe, there's no water. So everyone came to Moshe, why did you take us out of Egypt? There's no water, there's dirty water, how are we going to drink? So Moshe took a piece of a tree, Hashem told him, throw the tree into the water and everything will get clean. Filter, piece of wood. When Hashem wants, the piece of wood become a filter. Fun of everyone. But the Torah wrote something scary. The place called the water of the fight, who the nation of Israel fought against Hashem, not against Moshe that fought against Hashem. Why? This is my representative. Fighting with him, you fight with me. It's very simple. It's like this in business. I have a manager in a store. You attacked him, you attacked me. Right? That's it. Very simple. Let's move on. The Gemara says, Also, you disagree with some of these things. It gets you annoyed. Your problems is with Hashem, not with him. Moshe and Aaron say to them, what are you complaining to us? Your real complaint is to Hashem. It's easy to, call, to blame us. That's what I always say. Telling the truth to people is a very ungrateful job. In the best scenario, they tell you a few times, thank you, thank you, I appreciate. They send you $50 donation and it's over. But if they don't like, they curse you for 20 years. <laughs> and they make you bad reputation every place they go. Don't listen to him. Is this, is that. 
is that, that rabbi wrote a letter against, they make up stories. And it goes from one person to the other. And 20 years later, he didn't know that according to the stories on the street, uh, you, whatever, they make up uh, whatever they want. They can, they can make any story about you. Why? They don't like that you tell them, be quiet in shul. Stop being mechalel Shabbat. Start dressing like a human being, like, not like an animal. It bothers them. So it's very, it's much easier to complain against the speaker. Someone who thinks bad about his rabbi only thinks bad. He's thinking bad against Hashem. The Gemara said there is a situation that wealth that is given to a person was given to him to destroy him. Today it's very common, we see it everywhere. All the wealthy people, almost all of them, I wouldn't be exaggerating by saying that at least 99% of the wealthy people, the wealth destroyed them much more than helped them. Just because they have convenience life and they don't have to worry about the rent or the mortgage or, or car or payments or, or, or tuitions or food, whatever, it doesn't mean that their life is good. It's convenient. Convenience, convenience is not, it's not righteous or wicked, or convenience is not, uh, you know, not, it's not something that's going to bring you to heaven, convenience. What's, what's, what do they do with their money? Only nonsense. Only nonsense. Another party and more drugs and more things and more addicted to materialism and divorce and all kinds of things like this. If they were simple, ordinary people who paid their bills, None of the problems that they have would come. Most of the problem comes. I, I once told you, I, I saw a, a, a survey that they checked all the people who won the lottery. Hundreds. Only two, it was good for them. All the others admitted that they destroyed their life. Only two say there was, it was in the right time and it made my life much better. I did this, I did that. They didn't lose their mind. All the other people, they lost their mind. Wealth who is kept for his owner, for his own bed, not for his good. This is what happened to Korach. If Korach was an ordinary person, would he dare to come and fight against Moshe Rabbeinu? You know, in a shul, <laughs> in a shul, there is an, an expression. Baal ameah ubaal adea. Sounds like rhymes. Baal Amea, Mea Dea, sounds the same. Mea means hundred, money, and Dea means opinion. So it says like this, Baal Adea, Baal Amea, the owner of the hundred is also the owner of the opinions here, which means the master of the opinions. The more hundreds he have, the more of his opinions are materialized in this shul, which means a wealthy person builds, sponsor the shul. He makes the rabbi look like a puppet over there. The rabbi wants to pray now long. Rabbi, my wife's children is burning. Rush, rush. Goes like this. Rabbi is afraid of him. Tomorrow he's going to get angry. He, the next check will bounce. Who's going to pay the building? He says, yes, Mr. X. He said to the chazan, it's bitul Torah. It's Torah uh, tzibur. You're torturing everyone. All of a sudden, the, the rabbi already saying, you, you pray too long. People cannot focus. It's, you're, you're destroying their Shabbat. You know? 
The wife is at home, they sorry, they upset. Why are you praying sorry? <laughs> a minute ago, the rabbi said, wow, he's praying too fast. But after the rich guy gave him a look, right away, he changed his opinion. I have some rabbis, they tell me, listen, I'll invite you to my shul, and I want you to come give a lecture against the way the women dress here. The modesty here is horrible, I cannot open my eyes in my shul. So I say to him, why don't you do it? Well, it's a mandatory thing. <laughs> I say, you're kidding? I will begin to talk five minutes right after. I won't even finish my lecture. They kick me out of the window, the president. <laughs> why? The most not modest woman in a shul, it's his wife. What am I going to say? The wigs and this and tight clothes and all these things. She's the leader of all this fashion show here. I cannot open my mouth. He's paying my salary. But you come, later they're all, gonna, they're all gonna come to me, why did you invite this lunatic? So I'm gonna blame you. But there's nothing they can do to you. They are getting paid by them. But at least I, do, I pay my duty. I'm afraid of Hashem. Hashem's gonna tell me, hey, you, you're praying in this non-kosher minyan. 20 years you're the rabbi there, you're not saying anything? So that's at least a rabbi that has irat shamayim and has wisdom. To say, what's the point? He's going to get kicked out. He's right. They're going to kick him out. It's not a question if yes or no. Once or twice, he's out. It happens all the time. Not to say it's a very big sin. You are the authority over there. So if you find a solution like this, bring a lunatic from the outside who scream over there, everyone go in shock. And then you say, Rabbi, I didn't invite you to talk like this. <laughs> Next time, please, be more soft. So the president said, on my dead body next time, he won't ever step here. <laughs> it happened to me here in Queens, in one of the shuls. I once gave a lecture, I don't know, six, seven years ago, maybe eight years ago by now. And I told the people, you're not allowed to come to the synagogue with the car on Shabbat. They all started to ask questions, but they tell us. We live very far. I'm coming from Brooklyn, I'm coming from Long Island. This is our community shul. We don't have our tradition in other places. This is the only place here. I said to them, Hashem doesn't care tradition, tradition, tradition. Forget about this. Chilul Shabbat is a covenant with Hashem. It's a dead sentence, and you have no share to the world to come. You're talking to me about tradition? Eat your food somewhere else. I don't care. Well, who cares about this nonsense now? You know, it's like a person is about to die any second, open heart surgery, blood is spritzing from his heart like this, and his son said to the mother, Mommy, why don't we make a plastic surgery to remove this birthmark from, the, from our father's face? <laughs> blood is all over, his body is to pieces, and he's worried about the, 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 the dot that he has. What do you care about this nonsense now? First, save the patients. After he's back on his feet, you worry about this. So... I see the rabbi of that place and the president standing in the end in the hallway by the door. The door is wide open, and they go like this, like this, to get my attention. Now I know what they want. And you know, like, I'm going even harder. And I, and I go like this, and the president is a very rich guy. He, you know, how this guy dare to talk? He goes like this, he's all red, sweating. I ignore them, I continue. Then they couldn't take it anymore. And <laughs> they broke into the lecture. They broke in. Excuse me, we have an emergency, please. One minute, one minute. Rabbi, Rabbi, I have to talk to you. Please come out. <laughs> so I went outside. 
He said, what are you doing? Ah, what the damage you made? I said, what happened? He said, we've been begging them to come to build our community. You know how long until we convince them to come? Now you tell them not to come? I said, what do you mean? Well, you don't know that they're not allowed to drive with the car on Shabbat? We don't tell them to drive. So how are they going to come? They fly? <laughs> no. We just tell them it's important for all of us to be together, for their children to learn about the tradition of the community and this. No, you should have not talked about it. Don't tell them come with the car, but don't tell them don't come with the car. So I said, okay, now it's too late. I already told them. No, no, go and correct it. Tell them you didn't understand what I meant. I said, okay, okay. I went back. I made it even worse than before. <laughs> and of course, they kicked me out of the place. And they spoke million pounds of La Jonara against me for years after that. Everywhere you go, you hear, you know what I heard? You did this, you did that. And I'm saying to myself, uh, Rabbi Akiva was teaching Torah in public. The Romans made a rule, someone who get caught teaching Torah in the streets, put to death right away. So Rabbi Akiva was teaching in the street. He didn't care about them. So one of the rabbis, I don't remember right now his name, he came to Rabbi Akiva, he said, why are you going like this in, in, against the kingdom of the Romans? This is, this is the kings right now. This is who Hashem put here. It's no mitzvah to fight against them on purpose. So Rabbi Akiva says, so what do you suggest? That we stop learning Torah? We let them succeed with our play. Hashem told us we must learn Torah all the time, and they don't want us to learn Torah. We listen to them. So <laughs> what are you suggesting? So, you know, so it's like, a, like the wolf saw a fish is swimming in a lake, and the crocodile is coming to swallow him. So he said to the fish, come, come, come outside to the land. The crocodile is coming to eat. He said, you fool. Here that I know how to run away, you tell me to come out, I come out, you swallow me. What, what, what's the point? So Rabbi Akiva continued to teach, and he got caught. But they put him in jail. And he was 120 years old. And uh, <laughs> so after a few days, the other rabbi who was giving him the speech also were brought to jail. So he told him, Ashrecha, Rabbi Akiva, that you got caught teaching Torah, and how miserable I am that I got caught not paying enough tax or something. Both of us ended up in the same place. He had to die anyway. He was 120 years old, one way or the other. But he was much younger, the other one. And not only that, he got caught for not paying enough tax or doing something illegal. But Rabbi Akiva said to Rabbi Akiva, we ended up in the same place. At least you made trillions of mitzvot by teaching all these years Torah. What did I gain? I ended up the same hole with you. But at least you have a share to the world to come in the highest level, and I am bold from both sides. None, not in this world, and not in the next world. Then the Gemara continued. The Gemara says, uh, describing all the wealth of Korach, hundreds of donkeys full of wealth, and this, and all kinds of things. All right, let's move on. The Gemara says like this. Uh, actually, I just remember now by seeing it that this is something we also spoke about last week, but probably no, I see some people that were not there, so let's repeat it one more time. The Gemara answer, when is the life of a baby begins, officially? When? And the Gemara says, 
which means when, from the minute that the baby was born, when officially he has a share to the world to come? From what point? So the Gemara says, Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Shimon, the Barabi says, Misha'ah Nolad, in the minute of birth, the baby took his head, head out, that's it, he got life. One say, from the time he started to talk, he say a few words, oh, now he became officially as a share to the world to come. The Gemara say, one, opinion, one more opinion, from the time of conceiving, the woman conceived, the, the seed went into the egg, and now a soul was planted there. From that moment on already, this person has an identity already. Even though they name him yet, doesn't matter. It's an, it's an official soul. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak say, from the time he was circumcised, in the time of the circumcision, just when you name him, that moment officially has a share to the world to come. Because officially he becomes a Jew now. He's a Jew from birth. But a Jew that was not circumcised is excluded from Judaism completely. Cannot do any Jewish ceremony until he becomes circumcised. And if his parents didn't circumcise him, when he becomes bar mitzvah, he must take care of his own circumcision. Otherwise, he is a sinner every second of his life that he did not do it. So Rabbi Hanina say from the first amen he say which is about two years old. You teach them. Say amen. You say amen. Oh, Baruch Hashem. My son say amen. So the question is, what do we have about five opinions over here? The answer is no. Each one of them is correct. The life of a person begins in installment, in, in, in steps, and ends in steps. One month period, the person begins to die, the soul starting to come out of his body, slowly, slowly, like a leak, like a gas leak, not right away. And the same thing, parts of the soul enter from the time the woman conceived, one part. From the time of birth, another part. The day of the circumcision, another part. The first, first time you say word, another part. When you say amen, another part. Even daily, when we go to sleep in the morning, when you go to shul, you say barechu, part of the soul enters the body, the part that left at night entering in a barechu. There's all kinds of things. I remember one time there was a breed by Rabbi Chaim of Shul here. That was about 12 years ago, 13 years ago. When, uh, there was an Ashkenazi mohel, an Ashkenazi mohel. And Rabbi Chaimov was uh, honored to name the name of the baby. So he was holding the wine. So he said, and, and the baby's name in Israel will be named. So the guy said to him, Eli. <laughs> Eli. So I see Rabbi Chaimov like this with a cup. Told him, Mamash, I'll never forget this. This is maybe 13 years ago. I see his hand like this. He said, huh? <laughs> Eli. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Eli. <laughs> so you go like this. So the Ashkenazi Moel say, So Eliyahu. They got angry. What is this? We want to call him Eli. So then I had the schut to make this guy the father of the baby, to make him and his wife Shomer Shabbat. So I came to him right away. You know, they said the best defense is offense. <laughs> I came with a massive attack on him. You're not ashamed of yourself? 
What are you calling him this name? It's not a Jewish name. Jews has to be called Jewish names. What's Eli? So he got so red. He said, okay, okay, it's all for good. Then 10 minutes later, he comes to be angry again. He said, I didn't mean Eli like Italian Eli. I meant Eli. In a Gemara, there is Eli. Somebody told him from the family, you know, there's an Eli name in a Gemara. <laughs> All of a sudden, this guy became a Talmud Chacham. I meant Eli. I said, who are you telling me this story, Eli? Ay, ay, ay. So the moment that you say the name, a part of the soul comes in. Yikare Muhammad ben Sara. What name, what neshama you want to come to this baby, you name him like this. But in Israel, they have funny names. Mutsi, Putsi, all kinds of names. Mitzi, Spitzi, all these crazy names. Mother name. Mother name. Ay, 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 ay. Okay, Tanura Banan, Rasha Olam. When a wicked person comes to the world, the measurement of anger of God is going higher. Like in a stock market, you know? They show you? Okay. So he went a little bit higher. Haron bala olam, anger comes to the world. Shenemar in Mishlei, King Salman wrote, Bevorasha bagambuz im kalon cherpa. Shame and anger comes to the world when a wicked soul comes to the world. When a person has been reincarnated, wicked person. This is, by the way, a proof for reincarnations. Because a baby that is born is not Rasha, not Sadiq, it's zero. It's just start. <laughs> one second is alive, one second is already Rasha. How can it be Rasha? Rasha means from his previous life. You understand? And I had one guy that was sending me emails, really, really got me angry, this guy. My Yetzirah was to see his face and tell him something in his face. Continue to argue with me that reincarnation doesn't exist. Supposedly a religious guy. Yeah, one of the fools, I don't get excited. A second later, I forget about him. When someone, Shomer Shabbat, learns Torah, arguing non-stop, bringing me an opinion of somebody, and no matter what, there's no reincarnation. I give him hundreds of proofs. One, not hundreds, ten proofs. It's enough. How many proofs do you need? One, and another one, and another one. The people don't even hear. They just want to stick to what they say, and that's it. They don't hear. Same thing all the Muslims. Today, attack of 20 emails from Muslims, some in Arabic, headlines, arguing about Quran. They saw the movie showing the Quran is nonsense. You know, they fight, they argue, searching for the truth. You know, asking this, that. For instance, one of them asked me today, how is it possible that in the Quran it says that Ibrahim took Ishmael to the Akedah? And by the Torah it says, Yitzchak. So this is what I answer him. I say to him, 2,000 years before the Quran was started, there were millions of Jews spread all over the world, hundreds of generations. There were thousands of thousands of Torah scrolls were written everywhere with no communication between one Jew to another. And there's only one version of the Torah from the day it was given until this minute, 3,320, 200 years. No Jews were able to make a conspiracy and take a part of the Torah and modify it. First of all, it's a death penalty to do it. But that's, let's say somebody doesn't care. He's not afraid. He wants to modify it. If he was modifying it and another person, you wouldn't have one text. Where is the, the original text in that case? If everyone has the same text, 
It cannot be that people in different parts of the world change any part of the Torah. Now, what do you think? Do you think this is enough proof that a book that was written 2,000 years later, and of course they try to pretend that their father was the holy one, not the Jewish father. They have an incentive to lie. So what's logical? That all the Jews all over the world, for no reason, will change the Torah without gaining any benefits by that. Why would they want to say that their father, you know, Yitzchak was there? Why they have to change the Torah? So they, they claim that it was really Ishmael, and the Jews changed it to Yitzchak. If that was the case, that should have been all over the world. So it should be half of the world has this version, and half of the world has this version, or different other versions. But nobody ever found such a version, not even one ever. You understand? So this is enough or not? He doesn't even listen. He continues with his nonsense. Why should we waste time with people that their mind is blocked? They're not even listening. You want to listen, you listen. You know, I once said in a drasha that I gave on Yom Kippur in Englewood at night, Moshe Rabbeinu, when Hashem told him to write the Torah, he got to a point that Moshe stopped. We say to Hashem, Hashem, why you wrote this in the Torah? The people make a mistake and they think there's more than one God because of this verse. What was the verse? Na'ase adam betzalmenu kedmutenu. Let's make a human being in our image. So if a person read it, what does he think? There's more than one God. Let's do, which means plural, there's at least two. Ah, it says in at least seven or ten other places in the Torah, I'm the only God, there was no one before me, there will never be one after me, above the, above the heaven and under the ground, there's no other. And many other places, I'm the only God, you should never have another God but me. At least ten or twenty times it appears in the Torah, clearly. Nobody cares. Oh, over here it can be translated differently. Let's do who was Hashem talking to? To the angels, because every angel is in charge of some of the ingredients of the human being. The salt, the iron, the water. It's different territories of different angels. <coughs> and Hashem gives the angels credit, even though they're robots. They're not doing anything. They do. if, I, if I created a machine, and I put uh, some liquid inside, and the machine make an image, uh, who deserves credit, me or the machine? I deserve credit. But if I like to be nice and give credit to my machines, that's being humble, being nice. Giving, uh, like Rav Moshe Feinstein. Rav Moshe Feinstein used to come to the yeshiva, ask a great question. Nobody has an idea about the answer. He always gives the answer. And then he say, you see how we came up with a great answer? He never said, I came. I was not exist by him. You know what it means, I in Hebrew, Ani. If you change the letter, it's Ein. Gurnish, nothing. Ani, Ein. Why Hashem made the same letter? That you know you are nothing. Every second you live is me. I'm, everything you own is mine. Everything is mine. But I'm giving you credit like you did. Same thing in Pirkei Avot. He said to the people who make other people religious. And you who are dealing with the public, bringing them closer to Hashem, I'm giving you credit like you created them. Like. But you should know that what brought them back is the merit of their fathers. Without the prayers of their fathers, please, my grandson, look at him eating, smoking grass, 
two o'clock at night, Friday night in Manhattan, like a guy has no idea what he lives for, Hashem. You don't have mercy on me. All my life I was doing everything you told me. Look what came out of me. Have mercy, give him a chance. Send him this rabbi to talk to him. Send him a CD to wake up. Somebody invite him to a seminar. Make him an accident that he will wake up. Do something. If you don't have righteous fathers, it's a problem. Anyway, so, so, so the, the answer is Moshe said to Hashem, okay, so people may, may think there's more than one God. So Hashem say, Someone who wants to make a mistake, that's his own problem. Let him make a mistake. So everyone asks, Chazal asks, why Hashem answered him, someone who wants to make a mistake? It's nothing to do with want or do not want. Making mistake, it's an accident. It's not, a, it's not depend on my wish. Nobody chooses mistakes. You know, it's happened. Mistakes happen. If somebody had an accident, he chose it, it happened accidentally. But Hashem didn't say to Moshe, if somebody will make a mistake, that's no problem. He says someone who would want to make a mistake will make the mistake one way or the other. He doesn't need this verse. It's up to a person. If a person wants to live in a lie, he's busy all the time searching for mistakes and for, oh, over here doesn't make sense. Oh, over here doesn't make sense. Why? Because he doesn't want to live according to God's laws. If he wants to be kosher, he doesn't see these mistakes. That's nothing. Every mistake has an answer. Every contradiction has an answer. Every question has an answer. But you don't, you're not interested in the answer. You're interested in excuses. The Gemara continues. The Gemara says like this. Be'avod reshaim rina. When a wicked person dies, it's a celebration to the world. Rasha avad min ha'olam, tova bal ha'olam. The status of the world improved immediately. Even though you have seven billion people, most of them are wicked. Big deal, another one died. It's already affecting the whole world, right? And be'avod uh, we everything is based on verses. We're not talking about the opinion of this person or that person. It's all verses from the Tanakh. What does it say in Mishle Yud Aleph? It says, be'avod reshaim rina. And the destruction of the wicked people, rina means celebration, party, happiness. Tzadik niftar min haolam, when a righteous person dies from the world, ra'a ba'al haolam, tragedy comes to the world. Sheneemar, atzadik avad ve'en ish sama lev, the righteous person is lost. Ve'en ish sama lev, and no one's heart is getting broken. And the kind people are gathering together and they don't understand that because of the tragedy, the righteous person was lost. Then the Gemara says, what does it mean in Tehillim when we read the Psalms? Uh, we said, Shira ma'alot le David. It's a very famous uh, verse. 
שיר המעלות לדוד, שמחתי באומרים לי, בית השם נלך, עומדות היו רגלינו בשערייך ירושלים, ירושלים, העיר שחוברה לה יחדיו. This is a famous, אוקיי. What does it mean? Every verse in Tehilim has a whole story behind it. What do you, what do you think? Is Bialik? Seeding? What is it? Bruce Springsteen? Smoke a little bit and he decided to write a love song to his 15th girlfriend from high school? What is this? This is the prophet, King David, connect directly to Hashem and see a prophecy and begin to write and it becomes a legend. 3,000 years later, even Chinese in China retail him. Yeah, in English, in Chinese, doesn't matter. It's the same lady with a different dress. So, Amar David lifnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ribono Shel Olam, Hashem, I heard people say, wish for my death. I heard people in my nation are wishing, when will I die? He died very young, 70 years old. That's all. He didn't live that long life. I guess in his 60s, people started to talk. When will he die already? Can you believe such a thing? But don't worry, they had good intention. Why? Everybody knew that Hashem said to Nathan, the prophet, King David cannot build the temple. Why? His hands spilled blood in the war. What does it mean? <laughs> He went to fight against the Goim, the enemies of Israel, in the order of Hashem to go to a war. He killed Goim, and now because of that, by the way, that shows you, unlike some Jews that don't understand, the Goim are loved by Hashem, and they have high status also, and they can be righteous, and they have a share to the world to come, and the Gemara says, Goy that lomet Torah, a Goy that learns Torah can reach a level of Kohen Gadol, the high Kohen in Bet HaMikdash. All the negative things that was said about Goim in the entire Tanakh or in the Oral Torah were only referred to idols, worshippers who make Hashem very angry, and to the enemies of Israel, such as Iran, Hamas, all these filthy murderers. But regular Gentiles who have no problem with the Jews, they live their life. No, first of all, there's no permission to kill them, no permission to steal from them. There's a list of things. You understand? You have to be nice to everyone, to respect everyone, etc., etc. King David killed wicked goyim. Not nice goyim, innocent. Wicked one. Your hands spill blood of people. You cannot build the Bet HaMikdash. But your son Shlomo will build. So now everyone, all the Jews want Bet HaMikdash. Why? They know it's very good for the nation to have a house of God. So everyone was praying when King David will die. So Hashem said to him, I, I, he said to Hashem, I heard that they said when he's going to die, his son Shlomo will build Bet HaMikdash, that we finally go to Jerusalem to be with Hashem. So Hashem told him, Ki tov yom me'alef. One day that you learn Torah, better for me, then a thousand sacrifices that your son Shlomo is featured to bring in front of me. One thousand sacrifices of your son Shlomo in the holy temple of Jerusalem is not equal to one day you sit and learn Torah. This is King David. You know, just that you know, in the holiday of Sukkot we read in the Haftarah, the Hanukkah Tabait, 
the celebration of the opening of the first temple for the first time approximately 3,000 years ago. Who opened it? King Solomon. He built the first temple. It was the magnific magnific magnificent building that no, no, no way to describe such beauty. Tons of gold. When the Babylonians destroyed it, the price of the gold in the world went down 50%. Imagine it's $1,700 now. It went down to 800 right away overnight in a market. They, it took them two days to peel the boards of gold that were covering all the walls and the ceiling everywhere in Bet Amigdash was all covered with massive, solid, the best pure gold. <coughs> two days, they came to Bet Amigdash on the 7th of Av, and they only burned it on the 9th. 48 hours, hundreds of, Rome, of Babylonian soldiers are getting boards of gold out of rubbing it taking it out of Bet HaMikdash. This is how beautiful was the building. And when King Solomon opened the temple, he sacrificed thousands of cows and thousands of sheep. I once calculated $110 million for the cows based on a $5,000 price of a cow. It's a massive amount of meat, right? So 5,000 cows. Right? It's $110 million based on, how, on the amount there. And 22,000 kinds of, of sheep, which is $300 a piece here, and the Bukharians buy it when they, when they move into a new house. Poor God has to die. You know, so $300 multiplied by 22,000, 36 million. $146 million sacrifices in the opening of the first temple. And Hashem told him, one day that you learn is better than a thousand. So he has 22,000 and, uh, and uh, no, 22,000 cows, 22,000 cow, no, 22, sheep, and the cows, if it's 110 million divided by 5,000, you do the math. And uh, we're talking tens of thousands of animals here. More divided by a thousand, so means King David in his life actually achieved more than all these 146 million dollars in sacrificing based on the formula that Hashem told him. One day that you learn is equal more than a thousand. You know? So one thousand sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices, cows or sheep, it doesn't say what Hashem meant. But even if it's sheep, a thousand times 300, 300,000 dollars, a day of Torah of King David was worth more than $300,000 in our days. You understand? Uh, so this is for us to now, 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 wait. Today, a person who learns Torah, it's worth even more. Because it's much harder to learn Torah than 3,000 years ago. When you're King David, you don't see naked women walk on the street. Nobody there to dress like today. No television, no Android, no iPhone, no cable, no NBA, none of this nonsense. You don't have all this. What do you have in life? No electric, no nothing. If you're not learning, you're a complete moron. There's nothing else to do. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Run after your ship? Playing a flute? Fine, you can do it also. What's to do? If not learning, there's really nothing in life. It's not like today the Yetzirah brought you five million options. 
movie, soap operas. Ah, by, I can't, you know, every day my show starts at two o'clock. Ah, by, Mondial. Mondial, this Argentina against Brazil. How can I come to learn? Tomorrow it's the big day. American football, chocolate, donuts, and beer. <laughs> Bell is like this, everyone in front of the television. Shoot, goal! Oh, what is this nonsense? But that's what makes people away from Hashem. These are the things that people compare with Hashem and say, I go with a piece of leather, 20 bucks. That's more important than the Torah. But the value of the Torah, if you calculate it to money, it's a huge amount of money here we're talking. The Gemara says like this, Kol makom sheyesh, now we finally move to Masechet Shvuot, Baruch Hashem. Kol makom sheyesh bo chilul Hashem, en cholkim kavod larav. We have five more minutes, let's see what we can do. Every place that is chilul Hashem. The name of Hashem is disgraced by someone or by many which means the rabbi of that place participate in Chilul Hashem. He talks to non-modest ladies in a not-modest way, in public, people begin to talk. He, he participates in a mixed party dancing, a wedding. Well, just because it's a rich guy from his community, he was embarrassed to tell him, I don't come to your son's wedding. And then everybody talks, look at this rabbi. When it's big money, he doesn't care mixed dancing. When the poor guy marries son in a mixed party, no, he doesn't go. So the people get angry. That's called Hilul Hashem. Or in a kashruyot, all the politics. Don't eat from this meat, don't eat from that meat. Everyone is speaking against everyone because everyone wants to make the money themselves. It's hard to rely which hashgacha is reliable. Because there's so much politics involved, you don't know anymore. If you're not an, a private investigator to go and do a one-month research, you won't really know who's saying the truth. They all have beards. He said that that meat is barely kosher, that meat is a big question mark, that shochet is this, this one is Chabadnik, believes in a, the Rebbe never died, he's the real God. Everyone tells you a story. How are you going to eat from his shechita? This one this, this one believes in JC. <laughs> you get so confused. We have to beg Hashem to have mercy to show us the right way that we don't make mistakes. The confusion is all the way up to here. But, Amar Mar, when Hashem say, Lot Yisrael Shem Hashem Elokecha Lashav, the world was shaking, an earthquake, no injuries, just shaking. Hashem said, do not carry my name for no reason. What does it mean, do not carry my name for no reason? When you say the name of Hashem, it must have a real solid reason. You bless me when you eat, you have to. You pray, you have to. You learn Torah, you, you read the verse from the Tanakh, you have to. But just like that in a conversation, you say the real name in Hebrew of Hashem. Some say even in English, G-O-D is also not allowed to say, for no reasons. Which means a person carried the name of Hashem just like he carried the name of a movie star or something. Ah, no problem. Then it's a very big scene, and in Israel it's very common, because the secular people, they say the name of Hashem with hey, him. They don't say Elohim. They say Elo, and then they say him. And every time they say it, is as a violation of the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments are going from the most important to a little bit less. The first one, I'm the God. Second one, you should never have any other God but me. And the third one is, don't carry my name for nothing. 
it's really literally what it means in the Ten Commandments, don't swear on a false statement using the name of Hashem. That's already crossing a red line. Hashem will not forgive you. Hashem will not clean this sin from your file. Which means has to be a massive warning to the liars and to the thieves not to take advantage when they come to the Jewish court and they hold the Torah and they say, I swear in the name of Hashem, but the real name of Hashem. And everybody has to believe them because who would dare to hold the Torah and swear in the name of Hashem and they really stole. They, cl they claim they never stole, so they swear. Has to be a massive punishment to prevent people from doing it. Because if there's no punishment, everyone will do it. Did you steal a million dollars from Reuven? Oh, what are you talking about? He's a liar. He come, I swear in the name of Hashem. It's nothing to lose. Ah, there's the biggest punishment. Hashem can never forgive you. Oh, well, we play, and plus they put fire in the court. They made such an event that even a person came with the, with the intention to lie, he saw the, the atmosphere over there, he got very nervous. He said, oh, you know what, let me pay him the money. <laughs> I don't want to. One last thing, that uh, something like this happened in the time of the Gemara, that Reuven stole money from Shimon. Two guys. And Shimon uh, said to him, give me the money back. He said, I never got any money from you. I, I paid it back to you. It's already by your hand. Whatever you gave me, I gave it back. So he said to him, I'm taking you to Beidin, to court. Let's go. So the rabbi warned him and everything. He said, bring the Torah, rabbi, save your words. Give me the Torah, swear in the name of Hashem, let me go, this guy is crazy. I gave him back the money. So just when he was about to swear, he said to him, here, you liar, hold my cane. Hold my cane. It's two older people, so he has a cane. He walks with a cane. Hold my cane while I'm holding the Torah. Hold it. So he holds his cane. He said, I swear in the name of Hashem. And he said, the name of Hashem, the real name. That I, the money that he gave me, I gave it back to him. It's in his hand. He's lying. I don't have his money by me. Then I was, you sure? Say, yeah, here, I say it again. Up. Now this guy, he went crazy because, you know, he never paid him back. So he took the cane and banged it on the table with such anger, boom! <laughs> the, the cane cracked, and all the coins of gold that were hidden inside the cane spread all over. The crook, to steal, is not afraid. It's not such a big punishment. I have to pay double, I'll deal with that when the time comes. But to swear in the name of Hashem, that's already crossing a red line. Nobody dares to do it. So what's the trick? While I'm swearing, I put all the money in his hand. I swear that I gave him back the money. I don't have his money. It's not a lie. Hashem cannot do anything to me. That's called in Hebrew, Naval Birshut Torah. How do you say Naval in English? Naval, a crooked person. A crook in a service of the Torah. Maybe that's the right expression. Which means he's not really violating the rules, but he finds the ways how to go around it. If a person say to his friend, Maneli Beatcha, I have a hundred in your hand, I have a hundred bucks in your hand, and he say, You have nothing in my hand. I don't know who you are, forget, forget about it. It's, I don't have a penny of yours. 
There's nothing you can do. There's no witnesses, no agreement, nothing is signed. You gave him 100, nobody saw. Now you come to claim it. He said, I don't have any of yours. You don't have. What happened? There's nothing you can do. Patur. But the court make him swear that it's not a lie, that he really doesn't have the money. But to get money out of him, there's no way. But if he say, no, you have 50 by me, not 100, 50, 50 by me, then he will make him swear from the Torah. Before it was called Shvu'at Eset. Here now, it's a, if a person admits some of it, that means he already admits 50% that there was some kind of transaction. Oh, yeah, you had money by me, but not 150. Swear for the rest that is not in your hand. Right? But you should know one more thing. I know, I know myself that unfortunately it doesn't apply anymore because the nature of people is much, much lower than what it used to be. The Gemara say it's impossible. Remember that this is where we ended next Wednesday that we, with, with court issues. The Gemara say it's impossible that a person will claim that somebody owe him money to his face for no reason, which means a, a person cannot have the nerve or the guts to come to a stranger and say, hey, you, Joe, what about the $1,000 I gave you? Why are you not paying it back? Well, excuse me, what? What $1,000? I gave you a week ago, I gave you $1,000. Why are you not giving it back to me? And you say it in front of people, you make noise. Next thing you sue him, and you, you try to get money out of him. And he's afraid of his reputation. Sometimes it's worth it for him to give you the $1,000, not to have the headache. You know, sometimes a rich person Say, you know what, let me just give this guy $1,000. The damage is going to make me in the media can cost me millions. Uh, if they find out that I owe a guy $1,000, my stock, the company collapsed tomorrow. So imagine now that somebody comes and says, Bill Gates stole $1,000 out of my pocket in the gym. It's all a lie. It's crazy. But the damage is going to make Microsoft can be a billion dollars. <laughs> the story, you never know. So... The Gemara says a person cannot come unless if there was really something. If there was something, then you add salt and pepper to the story. But if there was nothing, a person cannot start a lie looking in your face, making up a story. But today, if maybe they will reconsider. If they write the Gemara today, <laughs> I already seen things like this, unfortunately. People already went below the, minima, the, the, the minimum of the minimum of being a human being. How to believe? Bezrat Hashem, we in Masechet Shavuot. Like I say, a few more lectures and we'll be done. The Talmud series, thank you for coming. And any question, you can ask me now. Thank you.